Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff Spirit of Abishir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. The Pirkei Avis Podcast is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, where we actively encourage Jews to think and engage in the search of how to be intentionally Jewish. Check us out on intentionaljew.com. Okay, today's Mishnah is Rabbi Yossi, the third of the students of um, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who um, is under this section of Heim Omru Shlosh They said three things. The, the, yesterday's Mishnah, if you remember, we talked about the concept of um, the, ultimately the, the concept of kina, taiva, and kavod, of um, lust, honor, and jealousy. It was very fascinating that last night, or early this morning in my Pirkei uh, class in California, we learned the Mishnah at the end of chapter four of kina, taiva, and kavod, Take a person out of this world, which is the corollary Mishnah to uh, Mishnah number 11 to yesterday's Mishnah. And the point that, that I made, which was a little different than the point that we made in our class, was that the root, the ultimate root of those three are really all about focusing on oneself. Jealousy, um, honor, and, uh, and then lusting after things, um, self-indulgence, um, so, so taking care of oneself, um, self-centeredness, all that ultimately is really about focusing on oneself. And that takes a person from the world means not only that it's, it, it ruins your life, but that it starts off when you're a baby. The jealousy is, you know, two, three-year-old children in a room are jealous of what each other has. And that it escorts you out of this world. It stays with you all the way through until the end if it's not put in check. Okay, today's Mishnah is Rabbi Yossi's Mishnah, which Rabbi Yossi, we had said when we had dealt with the, um, the students and their midos. So we had said that Rabbi Yossi was a chassid. He was um, described by his Rebbe as being a chassid, being a pious person. He was, we, which we understood to mean that he was self-motivated because piety, we said, was pushing yourself beyond your limitations, but pushing yourself not because of external motivations, but pushing yourself, pushing yourself because of internal motivations. We said that pushing yourself because of external motivation, that's called a tzaddik, and pushing yourself because of internal motivation, self-motivation, that is a chassid. And when he was asked what the good and bad ways to go is, he talked about being a shachin tov and a shachin ra, a good neighbor and a bad neighbor. So today we're going to deal with, um, with Rabbi Yossi's three things in the context of who Rabbi Yossi was and what Rabbi Yossi said. Okay, so Rabbi Yossi says, that your friend's money should be dear to you like your own. Now, if you've been hanging on to, to these Mishnayos, you know that two days ago we said, that the honor of your friend should be as dear to you as, um, as your neighbor. 
So now we're saying differently, not the honor of your friend, but here that we're saying that the money of your friend. Why are we talking in terms of money? My friend's money should be as dear to me as my own. First of all, it could very well be that my money is not dear to me at all. And, you know, the, the usual questions that we ask when we have terminology like this, and why is it that we're talking about it in terms of money? Talk about it in terms of feelings. Talk about it in terms of honor, respect, love. But don't turn, talk about it in terms of money, that your money has to be as dear to me as my money. That's, it's just weird. That's, that's the first problem. Second problem. Um, and a person should uh, make yourself fit to study Torah. I, I think that that's not the key part of the statement. But I think the key part of the statement is the second part of the statement. That Torah is not a Yerusha. It is not an inheritance to you. In other words, it's not coming by inheritance. It's not coming because your parents had it. It's not coming because your ancestors had it. It is only going to be something that you're going to make for yourself, and therefore you have to make yourself fit for the study of Torah. I've asked many, many times, and we've spoken about in this class many, many times, that in the mission of Perkyovus, you're not going to say something to me that is that, that is you know, just simple, something that everybody understands and everybody knows. When Mishnayas talk about something, when the mission of Perkyovus talks about something, when Rabbi Yossi felt it was important enough to live by this dictum, he wasn't just saying, learn Taira. That's not what he was trying to tell us. He wasn't just telling us that learning Torah is important. Prepare yourself to learn Torah. Make sure that you have, you know, snacks and, uh, and a cup of coffee so that you can learn Torah. Like, he's not telling us simple, silly things like that. What was he trying to tell us when he said, that you have to undergo a preparation in order to be able to, to learn Torah because it is not a Yerusha. It is not an inheritance to you. Inheritance to you. And then the third thing, the chol ma'asecha yiyu l'shem shemayim, and everything you do should be for the sake of heaven. Adah. Everything you do has to be for the sake of heaven. Everything you do has to be pure. It has to be, it has to be worthy of something. It has to be for a reason. It can't just be done because you're doing it. It has to be with altruistic and clear purposes. So what's he teaching me and saying that everything has to be done for the sake of heaven? Of course, the question we have to ask, which we always have to ask, is that what is the unifying thread of these three pieces of the Mishnah? What in the world are the, is the thing that ties together all three ideas? They also seem to be self-explanatory on the surface, but in fact, they really are very deep. What is mamun chavercha? Why are we talking about, as we mentioned a moment ago, why are we to- talking about the money of your friend? What's the principle that's being, that's being taught me? The second thing that we need to know is that it's not really true. Your friend's stuff should be as dear to you as your own. That's not really true. What does the, the Talmud tell us? Two people are walking in the, in the desert, and they have one glass of water. I own the glass of water. If I drink the glass of water, I live, you die. If you drink the glass of water, you live, I die. It's my glass of water. What should we do? So I think that without even thinking, everyone's going to say, split the glass of water, and whatever happens, happens. And that's not what the halach is. The Talmud says that if it's your glass of water, you drink the glass of water. If you're going to definitely live from that glass of water, you drink the glass of water. Chayacha Kaidman, your life comes first. So what is that? What is it? We learned a mission a few weeks ago. We learned, Nili, if I'm not worried about me, who's going to worry for me? We're numero uno. We've got to be worried about ourselves. 
So what does this mean? My friend's money should be as dear to me as my own. No, nothing of my friend's is as dear to me as my own. Nothing that my friend has. I don't even care what you do with the word money. I don't care how you characterize the word money. Nothing that my friend has is as dear to me as my own. So what is the admission of teaching me? And then you're telling me that Torah doesn't come to me be Arusha. Yes, it does. We know that there's a concept, Vanizos Brisi, that if three generations learn Torah, then it's called a Chudah Meshulash. It's called a, a, a three-plied strand. Then it's not going to break so easily. That we know that if my father, my grandfather were connected to Torah, then I have a better shot at being connected to Torah. There's such a thing called a gene pool. That we know that it's, it's in the genes. My father happened not to have been a rabbi. But my father was the, the black sheep of family. His two brothers were rabbis. And that goes back nine generations. Of every single generation produced, uh, produced Rabbanim straight up. It's, there's, a certain, there's a certain thing. It's in the genes. It's there. It's not, I got, I got you know, kids that are rabbis. It's, not, it's just, there's a, there's a gene thing. So what does it mean the Torah is not a Yerusha to you? There's not an inheritance. It certainly is on some level. And then you're telling me that everything I do has to be done, L'shem Shemayim, everything I, say, I do it has to be done for the sake of heaven. You know, there are many people that have done many wicked things for the sake of heaven. You guys remember the story of the birth of Shmuel? Shmuel's mom, Hannah, had a co-wife by the name of Penina. And Penina had a lot of children. Hannah was barren. And Penina used to make fun of Hannah. And she used to make fun of her. She would sit and, and, and knit baby booties in front of her. And she'd make her feel terrible. Now, the Talmud says that she was doing it l'shem shemaim. She was doing it for the sake of heaven because she wanted to make sure that Hannah continued to pray to God, that she continued to feel the lack of children, and therefore she would continue to pray to God for them. Okay, very nice, but it's pretty wicked behavior. It's still, it's still rough. I shouldn't say wicked. It's rough behavior, even though it's l'shem shemaim. So just telling me that all the things I do are l'shem shemaim. You know, I'm going to smack you in the nose. I'm doing it for the sake of heaven because I know that it's going to teach you a, a lesson. And, you know, it could be it's going to break your nose, but that's your problem. But I'm doing this for the sake of heaven. You know, we can live. How many, how many Jews have been slaughtered for the sake of heaven? A jihad or, a, or a, 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 a crusade that was all being done for the sake of heaven. You could do a lot of terrible things for the, in the name of heaven. So what is this? How is this a, really a cogent dictum to live by? that everything I do has to be done for the sake of heaven. Plus, don't we think that everything we do is a shame shemaim? You know, I, I, I did that altruistically. I did it, I did it you know, purely. I had no, no evil intentions in mind. The Kotzku used to say that, that there's no question that everybody is l'shem shemaim. Everybody's for the sake of heaven. But the question is, is your l'shem shemaim l'shem shemaim? Is your for the sake of heaven for the sake of heaven? You know, that's a tougher question to answer. So what does this mean that everything I do has to be done for the sake of heaven? And again, what's the connective tissue between all this? So I'm going to tell you something tonight, today, this morning, which I think is very, very beautiful. Something I, um, I understood from, um, from, from, from the teaching of uh, Rabbi Yechelen Zweig, the Roshiva in, um, in Miami Beach. We understand that there is a halacha that when you find a lost object, in general, when, um, when a person loses something of value, then your obligation is to return it. You have to, you have to pick it up, you have to take care of it. If it's an animal, you have to feed it. And then eventually, you have to return it to the owner. 
When you lose money, though, when you find money on the street and the money is spread around, you know, you find a dollar here, a quarter here, and it's spread around, and it has no sim and it has no marking on it. It's not, it's not left in a pile or left in a bag. So then you're allowed to keep it. Now, we know that in order to be able to keep a lost object, there has to be what's called yush. There has to be a despondency, a despair by the owner. The owner has to give up ownership of it. He has to say, I'm never going to find this again. It doesn't belong to me. The reason why money is considered that you know for sure that there was use, you know for sure if you find money dropped in a public street, you know that the owner knows that it's not there and has not come back for it. How do you know that? Because we say that a person is mimashmesh, a person checks his money all the time. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but I can tell you about myself and that I can tell you that when I'm carrying my wallet, so then I could wear a hole. I wear it in my back pocket. I could wear a hole in my back pocket just from rubbing, just from touching to make sure that my wallet is still there. I'm always nervous. I sit down. It's going to drop out of my pants, right? If I have if I, when my phone or, or you know, whatever's in my pocket over here, so I'm constantly checking. You know, if, if you were just looking at it from the outside, it would look like I'm crossing myself. I'm checking, checking my glasses. I'm checking my, my wallet, checking my, checking my phone, make sure everything is there. A person is mimashmesh. A person touches the things that are dear to him. He touches them all the time. He checks them to make sure that they're there. And therefore, if it fell, I know that it fell. And if it's still on the ground, that means that I was miyayish. I gave up hope from ever finding it. I didn't go back for, to look for it. We also know another important principle that if I give you something to watch of mine, I give you fruit of mine to watch, and the fruit is starting to rot. You have to wait for me to come back and get the fruit rather than selling it off and giving me the money because Adam Reitza, a person would rather have a kav shaloi, would rather have one measure of what belonged to him than tisha kav and then nine measures of something that belongs to somebody else. Even if you're able to salvage nine measures worth in money, it's not the same as giving me the exact fruit that I had worked for. Because when you work for something, it's valuable to you. When you work for something, it's dear to you and you have an automatic connection to it but it goes even deeper than that. And we've mentioned this before, but it's important to hone in on that everybody is born with incredible gifts and that I need to take pride in the gifts that I was given. But the truth is when I live by that pride, when that is what I feel is the definition of who I am by the gifts that I've been given, that is an empty existence. You know, we have a very beautiful line that says, Sone matonos and the way we normally translate that is, is that a person who hates gifts will live longer. That means you don't like coming on to other people. Like, you know, don't give me any gifts. My grandfather, Shalom, used to say when, you know, we would tell him how much we loved him, how great of a person he was, he used to say, keep the covet, give me the cash. The, you know, when you, when you stay away from, when you stay away from gifts, it's a, it's a much better thing. You live a, you live a happier life, but there's another, another way to explain that. That a person who doesn't live off of the gifts that he's been given, he doesn't live off of the, of the gifts, the talents that God gave him, then he's going to live a great life. Because who are we? We are not the gifts that we've been given, but we are the effort, the things that we produce from those gifts. And the amount of effort that you put into something is exactly who you are. The potential is the gift but the work product, that is who I am, which means that my money 
is what I've created, what I've made, my possessions, the things that I've worked for. And that's why they're so dear to me. That's why Yaakov Avinu went back for Pachim Kitanim. He went back for Little Pichavkis. Because the things that we knew, how much he worked for those little things, and therefore how dear they were, because they were a product of his productivity. They were a product of his efforts. And his efforts was the definition of who he was. God gave me the ability to make money. And we say a beautiful line, Koach, Lasos Chayil. God gave me the strength to be able to produce, the koach to be able to produce. And therefore, my money, the things that I produce are really an extension of me. Not to the extent that it's a definition, but it is an extension of me because that is where I used, I put my energy, I took the efforts and I put it into that to take the talents God gave me and to produce something. And this is what I produce. And when I say money, I don't just mean cash. I mean my material life. And when I look at my material life as being the tangible outcome of the gifts that God gave me, then they take on an incredible importance. And that's why other mashmish bekisai, that's why a person is constantly checking his pockets all the time because a person is in touch with himself because those things are the things that he used his efforts to be able to produce, to be able to take the gifts that God gave him in order to be able to produce something. That's why we say, Adam wrote, a person would rather have kav shalom, kav chaviru. He would rather have one kav of his own, one measure, small measure of his own stuff, rather than nine measures that belong to somebody else. Because this is what I produced this is therefore with the, the, the indication, it is the manifestation of the efforts that I put into my life. And therefore, on some level, my material possessions are an extension of me. And therefore, just like I value my possessions, because I look at my possessions as being the, the outcome, the testimony to the fact that God, thank you for the gifts you gave me. Look what I produced with those gifts. Look what I did with them. You know, when a parent buys a child a, a coloring kit and the child comes, he doesn't say, look, mommy, look how I hold the crayon. But when he draws his first picture, he comes to his mommy and he says, look, mommy, look what I drew with this. Look what I did with this. Because he's proud of the fact that he took that gift that you gave him and he did something with that. You get a new computer. You learn how to use the computer and you make, a, you make some kind of chart. You make some kind of, of flyer on it. And, and somebody says to you, wow, that's very nice. Say, yes, I was able to do this with my new computer. And if that person gave you the computer, it's that, you know, I really have to thank you because you gave me this computer. Because a person realizes, it's look what I did with these gifts. And when I realize what I did with these gifts, that's where something, that's where it's valuable. Just like with my own things, I look at it and say, that's an extension of me. Then I have to look at your things and say, that's an extension of you. And just like, I am careful with my things. I hate to break my things because my things, I worked for them. They were, they were what the, the product of the gift that God gave me. So are your things. And therefore, I have to have the same relationship with your things as I do to my things. You know, a lot of times when a person has surgery, so when they describe it to another person, they say, I'm going in for major surgery. And then when the other person tells them they're going in for the same kind of surgery, oh, you know, nowadays that's a minor surgery. A lot of times we view what's happening to us in a very different way than what's happening to other people. What the mission is telling me is that I have to see what's happening to you in the same way that I see what's happening to me. I have to relate to your possessions. I have to relate to your world in the same way that I relate to mine. And therefore, I have to deal with your stuff 
like it's a like it's an extension of yourself the same way that I deal with mine the same way that I look at mine and it's part of my self-esteem only in the sense of not look what I own please understand this it's not look what I own but it's look what I produced look what I was able to take the talents God gave me and look what I was able to do with those talents that in itself is an exciting thing that in itself is part of my sense of self, my sense of esteem. And therefore, just like I see that as myself, so then that when I look at you, it's got to be like that also. I have to see it as part of your self-esteem. I could be, I could be light with my kavod. I could be light with my honor. But I have to be heavy with your honor. Okay. That's, that's step number one. Step number two in the Mishnah is that you have to work on yourself to prepare yourself to learn Torah because it doesn't come be Yerusha. Oh, yes, it does. As we mentioned, there are certain parts of Torah that come be Yerusha, but that's the gifts of Torah. That's not your Torah. Your Torah is only going to come with schwitzing. Your Torah is only going to come with working. Your Torah is only going to come with efforts and with putting energy into it. To have Torah, you can have Torah. To be part of a three-pronged um, strand that's never going to break, yes, you can be part of that. That you are part of a long, long line of Chashev rabbis, yes, you can be that. But that you should be Chashev, but that you should have a connection to Torah, nuh-uh. That you got to take your efforts, and you got to put your efforts into it in order to be Konet, to acquire it for yourself. And that's what the mission is telling me. The mission is telling me that you are your efforts, the product of your efforts. And if you want that to be something beautiful, then you need to get yourself ready. You need to prepare yourself, make yourself ready for it, and now do it because it, that part of it's not coming to Yerusha. That part of it is not coming as an inheritance. And then the Mishnah turns to us and says, everything you do, all the efforts that you put in have to be not about acquisition. They have to be not about production, but they have to be for the sake of heaven. Every effort that we make has to be altruistic, real for a purpose, has to be something elevated, has to be something beautiful, not just for self-serving purposes, not just to make my own life happy, not just to bring me pleasure, but that everything I do has to be for some greater thing, for some greater good and some greater cause. And therefore, what the Mishnah is telling me is, is that you have to be able to push yourself outside of yourself to be able to push yourself and to be able to make efforts and to do what you're doing for the sake of heaven. And you have to recognize that the things that you have, the life that you have has a lot to do with what you did with the gifts that were given you. And that is something that can motivate a person. That's something that can push a person. Look at the gifts that I've been given and now I feel motivated, I feel pushed, I feel energized to do something with those gifts, not to live by those gifts. So nematonos, I have to hate the fact that it's a gift, but yichya, if I do something with it, if I turn it into something, so then yichya, then I in fact will be very much alive. When it comes to my neighbors, again, people who I don't have necessarily a close relationship with. I'm not, not necessarily building, building a close relationship with them. But I look at them a little, bit, a little bit disconnected from the outside. Even to someone like that, I have to recognize who he is, what he's done, 
how he has taken his talents and produced something from them. And I have to be respectful of those also. For my friends, it's much easier. The people that I'm close with, the people that I'm trying to learn from in a very close kind of way, it's much easier to do that. But says Rabbi Yossi, you have to motivate yourself even when you are impartial, even when you're disconnected, even when you don't have that strong relationship. It's just a neighbor. It's just somebody, it's just somebody living next door. It's just somebody in the neighborhood. But even to them, I have to look at them and I have to appreciate and applaud what they've done in their life and that what they've done in their life, they have motivated themselves and pushed themselves because they took their talents and they turned their talents into something. Imagine if that's the way we looked at each other. Look at what you did. You were born not religious and you're religious now. You're, you're struggling with, 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 with spirituality. You are, you are building a life for yourself. You're raising amazing children. All of that is because you recognize, look at the gifts that God gave me and look what I'm going to do with those. I'm not just going to live by those gifts. I'm going to turn them into something. I'm going to produce something. Wow, it doesn't really matter who you are, what you say. It doesn't really matter if I find you a little toxic or a little annoying. You're amazing. Because I'm applauding the fact that you didn't just live by the gifts you were given, but you took those gifts and you produced them. You, you produced with them. You turned them into something tangible and something very beautiful. And that's who Rabbi Yossi was. And that's what Rabbi Yossi taught us. And that's the connection between each of these pieces of the Mishnah. Don't just applaud yourself with the gifts but take the gifts and turn them into something amazing.